All right. Well, welcome everyone. I'm so excited. What very special <laughs> faded mates. <laughs> I haven't done this much reading since graduate school. Just I, FYI. <laughs> I did romance homework for weeks now and I'm so excited about it. I know because we got the best professors around to come we and do. teach us about dark romance. So welcome everyone to Faded Mates. Um, we promised you this episode when we did Morality Chain and here we are. Before we start and introduce our panel of distinguished guests, um, we're going to just put a blanket content warning on this episode and on every book that's mentioned. We are not going to be able to do content warnings for each individual title. Just know going in that because we're talking about dark romance, there will be discussion of many potential um, triggering uh everything. So um, just kind of know your own limits. And as you approach listening to this episode, um, check show notes, maybe by looking at um, chapters and images and figuring out what's when you can find the things that you want and skip the things that you don't. Um, And we hope that you are as interested and fascinated by these conversations as we have been, as we've been preparing for this episode. So... Um, why don't we start with inter- introductions and then we'll go back a little bit and talk about why we brought in. It's our first panel episode. Yeah. It's that, it's that big, you guys. We're excited. So um, what we'd love is for you to introduce yourselves and tell us why you're here. <laughs> um, so Kenya, why don't you start first? Hi, Sarah and Jen. I am Kenya Gory Bell, and I write contemporary and historical romance. And um, my books are full of black girl joy with stern alphas who will blow your fucking back out. (laughs) Sold. And Kenya, why are you here? I'm here because I'm actively recruiting everybody to read dark romance because I love it so much. Nice. Nisha. Uh, Hi, everyone. I hope to God my parents don't listen to this episode. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, My name is Nisha Sharma, and I write YA and contemporary romance. I'm the author of the Sync Family Trilogy, and um, I am here because... As much as I enjoy writing rom-coms, I usually read dark romance while I'm writing um, just because I need something completely opposite of what I'm creating. And uh, so I've fallen down the dark romance rabbit hole about five years ago, and here we are today. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if you're here because you love Nisha's new book, Rada and Jay's Recipe for Romance, which is a YA novel, maybe see yourself out. (laughs) Yeah, this (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Joanna. Hi. Very excited to be here. I'm Joanna Shoup. I write historical romance, similar to Nisha. I, when I'm writing historical romances, which is like all the time, I seem to always be drafting something. I don't like to read historicals. So I read a lot of really, really hot contemporaries. And it feels like the worst. 2020 got the darker the darker my romance has got so hi i'm excited to be here and joe hi i am joe brenner i am a aspiring or budding uh, dark contemporary romance author and i read a ton of it and i've been 
reading it forever, both because I really enjoy it and also because I uh, find it sort of fascinating from like a psychological and anthropological perspective. And I've never had anyone that I could even talk a peep about it with before. So I'm really excited to finally get to talk about it now. Yeah, exactly. Um, Joe is in uh, a Chicago friend of mine and, you know, it's sort of like, we talk so much about how like no shaming, you should never be ashamed of reading romance. And yet I find that many dark romance readers really do feel this sense of like the, the whisper network of dark romance still really feels, um, you know, like you kind of have to like ease people into it. And so one of the reasons we want to do this episode today is to um, get some experts on to talk about this genre, this subgenre and what it does and why you might enjoy it or, or um, what it does really well, the hallmarks of it as a subgenre and some of the things that it's exploring, right? Our experience, exploring our own like kind of meta analysis of like what we're doing in our brains while we're reading. And when I read dark romance, I am completely aware of like kind of how it's working on me. And so I think this is going to be a really fascinating episode for everyone. So we are really excited to have our esteemed panel of guests. And Sarah has a list of questions that some of which we've prepared, some of which our panelists have um, popped up to us. We think this will probably be a pretty long episode. Um, One last thing before we go is it won't be a typical interstitial in that like everyone will kind of take a book and explain it. Instead, we're going to talk a lot about dark romances, themes and hallmarks, and then give examples. So it's going to be really important that you look to show notes. I'll try and make sure they're as organized as possible so that um, you can, you know, kind of, kind of look at titles might fly by. Some might be talked about in depth. So I imagine we're going to have a pretty extensive list of books in show notes. But I think it's important also for us to talk, Jen, just to sort of admit that we are dark romance virgins. Like, I would have, uh, when <laughs> prior to three weeks ago when we decided to do this episode, I would have said, like, oh, well, I mean, I've read Lila Pace's Asking for It. And so, like, I know about dark romance. <laughs> and for those of you who know Asking for It, I mean, it sort of blew the door, you know, blew the doors open when it came out. Everybody was talking about it because it was this kind of consensual, non-consent erotic romance where the two main characters agree to have a romance or to have a relationship where they play, except it doesn't feel like play, where they have a non-consensual sexual relationship, right? There's a lot of rape fantasy built into it. And it it kind of shattered a lot of opinions about the genre um, and where the genre could go. But that was, and that was, I don't know, I should have looked up the date, but a while ago, I would think right. like, you know, it, maybe seven or eight years ago, maybe longer, but now it feels like that's like amateur hour. Right. Now we're sort of, this conversation is going to be about a lot of things that are not consensual. And so um, I think this is a, I, this was a real surprise to me. I mean, I knew it existed, but here, but having four people who I trust a lot sort of guide me, I feel like the four of you really did like take me into what's it called? Mortar. <laughs> Mordor. Yes. <laughs> Mordor. <laughs> So um, let's start. Actually, I want to hook. The first thing I want to talk about is what Joanna was saying. Joanna brought up, well, like in 2020, this is what I want to I want to read. 
And we've talked, Joanna and I, I know, have talked a lot about how this year and maybe longer, you know, Joe was saying, I've been reading it for a long time. What is it something, what brought you to Dark Romance? Where did you start? When did you start? Is there, is this a situation where like we, you went dark because there's something in, can you unpack what's in there that really appealed and maybe why? I mean, is it because 2020 was a mess, Joanna? <laughs> yeah, for me, I feel like I've been reading quote unquote dark romances for, I mean, a long, long time. I mean, I, I, the one that jumps out at me is the Anne Rice um, series, which I think you guys talked about um, a few weeks ago on Faded Mates, the Sleeping Beauty uh, trilogy, which that's dark. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I gobbled that up. Um, so, but I feel like I used to kind of sprinkle other stuff in and within like the last, like really two years, especially in 2020, it was just like, I don't want light and fluffy. I just don't. The sort of the darker it got around us, like the darker I wanted to read can you talk about like, do you think, you know, why, what is it that's cathartic or emotionally satisfying about it? And Joe, I know you and I've talked a lot about this, so maybe I'll call on you. Yeah. So, you know, cause I had stopped reading it for a long time. I go through phases and like, I am not also similar to Joanna. I'm not someone who like, I'm in a bad, bad headspace. I need something light and fluffy. Like it's like, take me down that dark corridor and let's see what's down there. And I think it really, for me, it comes down to like, there's a safety in, um, the fact that like, as bad as things get in these books, you know, there's a, some version of a happy ending. Like it's not a horror movie. Like your main characters are going to survive and they're going to walk out of it. And they're going to walk out of it. Like sometimes literally holding hands or banging or both. So, (laughs) uh, so I think that there's an element of that there. And then I do think there's like, I definitely think there's something cathartic for sure about the way that like it lets your brain safely go to like places, like really some scary places that like it wouldn't go otherwise, because like, again, you know, there's a safety net underneath you of some kind. Yeah. Like I'm not reading super dark thrillers. I'm not reading Stephen King. Like it's definitely within like the romance world. So I feel like there's something, there's something to that. Did you guys all see that Saturday Night Live um, skit about the murder show? And a couple of years ago, my husband came home and he was like, all the women in my office had this big conversation today about serial killers. And he was like, why? Yep. And so I think I think that makes sense to me, right? Like there's a way in which, right, if Saturday Night Live is spoofing it, it's safe to say that this is something a lot of Americans are really like drawn to. And in this case, it, it was really gendered though. Like that particular skit was like women snuggling in to watch the murder shows after, um, you know, as, as again, a cathartic way of dealing with how scary the world is. I mean, but to, to kind of go back, like sociologically, um, we tend to monetize on trauma, we monetize trauma. So, you know, even like, if you think about like the gladiators and if you think about like some of the other media that, you know, has existed over like the decades, you know, we, 
we tend to gravitate towards watching, you know, trauma unfold and from the safety of our homes or from the safety of our seats or from the safety of our Kindles. And it's a safe space to kind of explore something that technically can, you know, is, is, a horrifying experience for some and and just know the unknown. And for me, that's kind of part of why I read a lot of dark romance. It's uh, we we tend to like be fine with people watching Game of Thrones. And I know we talked about this on the Mafia, like on the Mafia episode, we tend we tend we tend to be okay with watching a lot of this in media, but like with dark romance, I feel like I have to justify it a little bit more. And I don't like the justification of it. I feel like I shouldn't have to justify it. And I read it because it's like any other media that other people would read or watch. It should be just as okay to and acceptable for me to read dark romance as it is for other people to like watch Game of Thrones. I I got on my soapbox a little early, but (laughs) I think, no, I think that's so important. And I think that that's part of why this, we were so eager to do this episode with people who so overtly love it and Mm -hmm. think about it in really interesting ways. Because I think often, I think as much as romance is misunderstood, dark romance is like way more, I mean, exponentially more misunderstood from even from within the genre. Right. So, so Kenya, you're a big, like Kenya will slide into your DMs, <laughs> right? Can confirm. Can confirm. And be like, have you read this one? So Kenya, like you read really widely in dark romance. Like right. let's hear from you about like the appeal of it for you. Well, I think I come from it uh, from historical romance because I started reading Rosemary Rogers, right? Yes. And that was straight non-con in those books in the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> they were straight up raping the women. <laughs> and when you um, come from historical romance from like the 80s in Fires of Winter was my cherry popper, Joanna Lindsay. Um, that's, he rapes her in that book. And, and now I think Romance has gotten a little too tame. And so I started, um, I read American Queen by Sierra Simone. And I was like, hey, this is the, this is right up my alley. Let's find some more of that. And, and so people realize that you like it. And they'll like, like I do you guys, they'll slide into your DMs and say, hey, have you read Eva Chase? Have you read this person or um, Loki Renard? And I started reading them and it just was a gradual descent into the darkness and <laughs> I have not looked back I'm not ashamed of it it's my crack I love it and I happily spread it around in the so, genre because it's 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 a great place to play it's a playground of delicious darkness I love it so I think this is really fascinating because every book that you guys recommended, I started reading and I was like, this feels so old school, right? right. And I want to unpack, I have so many questions about, I want to unpack heroes and heroines and like pacing and the whole nine. But I think it's really interesting that you point to those old um, old school romances where the non-consent is overt and on the page and then the hero becomes a hero because it's hard not to if that's if you think about that as the kind of primordial dark romance, right? But I would like to get into what makes a dark romance because I think we need to we need to do that for people who don't know. But Jen, I see your face. 
Well, I just want to say, I think the other thing that's really interesting is at one point we talked about paranormal then being the place where like some of those old school themes like lived, but as paranormal declined, it seems like those things moved to dark Mm. romance. So maybe it's, I mean, like, right, paranormal isn't as ascendant as it once was. And so I think a lot about, you know, maybe in romance, there's always has to be a place where women are exploring you know, because it does feel really gendered to me. And we can talk about that later, but like where let's say people are just exploring really their deepest fears about their own agency and freedom and autonomy. Nisha, you were shaking your head though. Do you, you have something no, to say about paranormal? No, I, I agree. I think um, with paranormal, um, we're now seeing like a shift too in the market where there's darker paranormal and there's paranormal light. So Mm -hmm. some of those dark romance themes are shifting to one side of the paranormal spectrum and what's typically considered like, like trade romance or, or what you see on the shelves in bookstores are losing those darker themes. Mm. Um, And to kind of go back to you know, what, what kind of trauma that typically appears in a romance, I think it's important to, to throw out there that one in six women still, um, have rape fantasies. Like that is, that is, uh, something that there's multiple studies that have been done on it. There's continued studies on, on how, uh, what, what women consider, um, you know, a sexual fantasy or an erotic fantasy. And those appear in dark romance that may not fulfill a need for, um, for individuals who are reading just regular contemporary romances. So it's a good segue to what makes a dark romance a dark romance. And I'd like to hear from each of you. So like when you think of like, okay, this is like a core element of a dark romance, what would you say it is for you? We're, we've been thinking over the course of this season a lot about like the Venn diagrams, like how things intersect with each other. And so like, what makes it dark, but not taboo? What makes it Right. You know, dark. Uh, where are all of the intersections? I mean, like you don't have edges. to answer that question, but like there are, it feels like there are so many places where it bumps up against other stuff. And so what lives in this circle? Well, I actually think this is interesting because like, I would say that, like, I think about it, I was thinking about the circle Venn diagram thing. And I think that all non-consensual or dubious consensual romance is dark romance, but not all dark romance is dubious consent is dub con or non-con. Mm. Um, so it's not, cause I used to think, Oh, like those two things in my head back in like 2012, 2013, especially when they were all like so many like indie sex trafficking, dark romances were out. Like I thought that's what it was. And I think it shifted a lot. I think mine really has to do with endings. So I don't know if we were going to talk about this later, but let's um, do it now. I think it has to do with like, there's what the HEA is made up of, of like what happens to like, if we're talking about this in a gendered way, like the heroine or the, the non-aggressor, the non-villain in the relationship, do they like drag the other person to the light or do they like move into the dark and does that become their happy ending and their like way of actualization? And I think that that's a big part of it is like, they find themselves in this darker world, in this darker place. And are they evolved in that, at that point, like how have they changed over the course of the book? This is my question about the hero, the, you know, the non-aggressor. 
uh, or the heroine in the case of all the books that I read, they were male-female relationships. So, and so my question is like, by the end of the book, does the HEA require, in a kind of non-dark romance, like one might say the rule is that both characters have to evolve in some way and sort of come out of the book at the end in a different way than they did before. And being in love is not all, is not, that's not it. The right? only That's not thing, enough, right? right? Every something else has to happen too. Right. Is that the case here, or does the heroine evolve? Is I guess my question. Well, a lot of dark romance we have to understand is a very huge spectrum. So you will have heroines who are very naive and young and don't know what's going on, and then they evolve into these courageous, badass women within the story. And the hero, I think. The hero is more of a static character. He does not do a lot of growing or moving. It's the heroine who does most of the work in the story. And they they either go darker or find their strength in darkness, or they kind of find, still maintain their light, even though they're with this person who is either a criminal or a drug kingpin or whatever he is or werewolf or whatever. When you look at um, Lothair, for instance, and I've said that this is a dark romance, he meets this girl in her little trailer park, and she's a human, and he hates the fact that she's human, and she comes into her immortality. All of that is about her growth. But at the same time, she has he never becomes, he only, it's a morality change because he's only, does good because of her, but essentially he does not change. He's still psychotic. He's still crazy. <laughs> and she just ends up right. learning how to deal with him the best way. He didn't even want to have sex with her because she was a human. And she was like, yeah, but I want to do this. And he was like, no, I might hurt you, whatever. Right. You know, he hated humans. He didn't, but it was only for her. So a, a lot of times in these books, the hero, um, the heroine does all of the work. The hero rarely changes. But she just learns how to navigate her life around his, uh, whatever his uh, psychopathy is or whatever else. So, which brings back us to Dead Man Walking, Jim. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so, so can <laughs> well, you do, I should ask though, but do you feel like that's, that's the hallmark for, that's one of the hallmarks for you? That's one of the things that makes dark romance dark and not the rest of it? Yes, that's one of that's one of the hallmarks for me. So but, let's come you know. back to Dead Man Walking because I I I'm interested in this, right? So Joe was like, it's about the HEA, and you're like, it's about like the one character's journey, but the other one is sort of static. So I'd love to hear like um, Nisha and Joanna talk about like when you think of a hallmark, what what do you think of? Um, for me, I think that um, a dark romance has some element of psychological or physical trauma associated with it. So the world is dark, and at the end of the book, the world is still dark that they're in. Um, so, and I think you guys mentioned it on a previous episode, like what um, ha- what books have dark moments versus you know what books are dark romances and I fully believe that you know at the end of the day like they're not gonna escape and just leave the world behind in a dark romance for most of them like you know there there's some element of that darkness that still follows them um and so um at least that's that's what I feel when I read those dark romances like, 
Um, and I love what Kenya said about the growth of the heroine versus the hero, because that's also a really important element of a dark romance to me. I think that I can't even remember the book that that said it, but it's like this one quote that sticks with me whenever I read a dark romance and that, you know, either either or one of the characters um is the is the candlelight in the darkness and she represents the like last um the last strains of humanity that exist in the relationship as as they kind of work through, go through this dark world so there's just a little bit of humanity left and one of those characters kinds of brings it to the story um and um and that's incredibly like attractive to me as a reader like that's what I look for what who has that last strain of humanity and how does that affect the relationship I think for me some of it is uh I agree with everything that's been said and I think some of also what makes it a dark romance is that the um evil takes place on the page uh it's you can't fade to black if you know the hero is a you know mafia don who's you know his nickname's the butcher like you can't, you can't <laughs> fade to black on that like we need to know why he's called that and really believe it so a lot of a lot of these stories um you see the kidnapping on the page you see the drug you know the hero drugs the heroine on the i mean everything happens on the page so for me that um that's usually a hallmark Dark romance loves a murder meal is yeah. what I have learned yeah. in the last three weeks. The, I, the first one I read was Joanna recommended King's Captive to me. And now, of course, the author is somebody. Amber Barden? Amber Barden, yes. And it begins with the heroine sitting uh, with her father. She's And there's like been a murder, a massacre at a birthday lunch. And then I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And her whole family has been killed. And then it the first chapter ends with the hero, like, putting his gun to her father's head and basically being like, say goodbye. And then next chapter, she's on an island wearing Gucci or whatever. And very, like, it's tropical. In, anyway, the point is, these murder meals <laughs> feel very common. <laughs> well, in, you've read a few of them. Danielle Laurie's, yeah. right? <laughs> at, you know, like, they're having, a like, a pre-engagement lunch or something. And, you know, somebody pulls a gun and he, like, shoots them. And then everyone keeps eating. And I was like, oh. It's a real. I love that book. I love that book so much. Because what is the title? tell it tell I, it i think it's called the sweetest oblivion yes, and um and base the hero is supposed to get married to the heroine's sister right. and uh in this murder meal it's the brother <laughs> who pulls the gun and after it happens the dad the head of the family is like even though the heroine is covered in blood um the dad is like sit down we're gonna finish this family meal <laughs> so she's covered in blood and he makes her finish her food oh and the, he the hero is the one that that does the killing. And yes. he, he basically says, nobody liked him anyway. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's bananas, you it's guys. Bananas. <laughs> but so if you are out there writing a, a dark romance, my piece of advice would be make sure you put in a murder meal because that's the promise of the premise right there. <laughs> um, so let's talk more about 
You want to do heroines next? No, I really, I think we need to just talk a little bit more about Joanna's point about bad things happening on page. Because I really think that that's the thing. Because we, that I think would feel shocking if you have not read, you know, I mean, if you, you know, sort of like, I think when you're in with folks who love and know dark romance, you know, Joe kind of dropping like the, I can't remember what you said a couple of minutes ago. It was like, oh, those early indie sex trafficker romances, right? <laughs> and people would be like, excuse me? So, I mean, I think that's one of the things that is important to know is the pacing and the plotting of these books is often driven by a different set of factors. Like that was my experience when reading them. And often it's driven by violence, Rather than by, you know, I don't know, in historical, it's like, now we got to the ballroom. And in paranormal, it's like, you know, now we got to run in the woods. And in, you know, a dark romance, it's like, now somebody's going to get murdered. And in a pretty gruesome or gory way. And I don't mean that to sound judgmental. I love an action movie. And, you know, that doesn't really bother me. But it does feel like um, the, the things that get put on page are very, I don't think, it doesn't feel like there are limits. Yeah, are there limits? That's a good question. They will take the finger every time. Every yeah, single piece, author. Every time. Every <laughs> time. Hand. Yeah, they're yeah. asking yeah. that. No. Yeah. Is there anything a hero cannot do? Cheat. She'll, so Cheat. Probably Cheat. Cheat. That, yeah. Cheat. 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 That is it. That mm-hmm. is it. That's where I draw the line, which is kind of incredible <laughs> if you think about it. Nisha, I who put in the group chat, well, that's the one where he keeps her in a cage. <laughs> Like, wait, what? <laughs> we but found my hard limit right there with Keith. Isn't and that fascinating? I feel like I, one of the things I was really, because I grew up watching like The Godfather, right? And all of those dudes are having like their side pieces, affairs all the time, 100%. all the time. Yeah. And in these books, there, it, it's there's monogamy. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think that actually brings up another theme, which I think is obsession. I think there's yes. like this, and I think yes. it plays into the way the dubcon or the non-con, or usually there's almost always a kidnapping somewhere um, comes in, is I think that the hero or the aggressor, because I can think of a few examples where the woman's the aggressor, but like is so obsessed with the heroine yeah. that like everything revolves around them. So the idea of ever stepping out wouldn't even occur. Like, it's not like a, I don't want to hurt her. It's like, she is literally the only thing in the entire, it's a candlelight thing. Like she's the only thing in the universe that I can see. I mean, cause in the end we're still reading a romance. So, you know, and part of the, one of the most important things for me in a romance novel is the hero and heroine having a journey where they fall in love and they're going to be together for a happily for now or happily ever after. Monsters need love too. So that's <laughs> there, there that's the show title. <laughs> I know it just happened. It just happened. Well done. So I mean, but that is it's interesting because it does feel like the limits are not about the limits of dark romance are still romance's limits. So I think right? this is a good place to talk about horror, right? Yeah. Um, so I did as I was reading, I was thinking a lot about the fact that often people from outside of romance say things like, I really love horror. Is there a romance that you can recommend that would be appropriate for me, that you would, that I might enjoy? And 
for a long time, my answer was like, that is cognitively dissonant. Like you can't have both of those things on the page by virtue of an HEA. But I do think that dark romance is probably the place in romance that most connects to horror. And so I did a lot of work around this over the last couple of weeks. Like I said, I've been like doing the reading and um, there is this really fascinating, I found this like Thanks to my friend, Nicole Ostow, who is a YA author who writes horror um, and is really fascinated by the intersection of feminism and horror. She recommended an article to me that talks about what is referred to in the horror world as the spectacle of the ruined body, right? So this idea of like torture porn, like when you look at Saw, when you watch the Saw films or you watch any horror that like where somebody is like physically tortured. Um, But one of the things that that we were that she and I were talking about and that this article, which I will put in show notes, talks about is this idea of like women's bodies being often the body that is ruined. And this and so there's a lot of discussion in the other piece of it. The other reason why I went to horror to academic research on horror is because there's very, uh, there's a ton of it rather than a very minuscule amount of academic research on romance and no academic research I could find at all about dark romance because patriarchy. But (laughs) but like, this is where we are, right? Like trying to shoehorn that research over here. But there's a lot of conversation about this idea of like there being some kind of control and freedom in control when you're watching a body like threatened and or ruined, right? And so I think there's this interesting question of like, is rape on the page by like acted on by the the hero? If the hero rapes the heroine, or if the hero, or if the hero murders the heroine's family and then makes her eat dinner, are we talking about a similar? space where as a viewer or a reader, we're having, we're able to have control over the experience and own it in some way ourselves. I feel like Nisha, you and I have talked about control too, Mm -hmm. but this idea of like the actual spectacle of the horror of the dark romance at the beginning being somehow valuable to the, to the work. Joe recommended a book called vanquish is that the one yeah okay where i actually texted the group chat and was like he is essentially like in her house and i really experienced it like i would experience like horror and i had to like put i don't know if you guys remember this i had to put the book down Mm -hmm. because i was like i'm so afraid of like what he's gonna do when he goes into her room and i really did experience it like there was this great moment where i was like i get to stop him and then I get to pick it up and read it when I want to again. And I, it, but I'm pretty new to the subgenre. So I don't know if there's moments like that or in books that you can think of where, you know, you can talk about that feeling of like control in terms of like you as the reader, like what's happening. I think it allows for you to have a safe space to experience that trauma all of those emotions that the heroine is going through or not, because you have the power as the reader to just not read it. Right. But if you are, um, if you're in this world and you're reading in this world, you are reading and you have the ability to stop if you want to, 
or you can just forge ahead and read it and experience those things without uh, knowing always that you can stop whenever you want to. Because a book where the hero is actually is a non-consensual book, and it was very popular last time, was Truly, where this young, like, just 18-year-old girl is totally, you know, ruined by the hero. And it happens in a treehouse. And you're reading it with your mouth agape because you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. And it was so traumatic for me, but I could not put it down, you guys. I was like, and how in the, in the, the other issue is how does he redeem himself from what he's done? And the whole rest of the book is about him becoming not necessarily a better person, but her rising up to meet him in his, um, cause I still consider, you know, most of these people, uh, psychopaths, but her rising up to meet him. And he, um, it's totally unapologetic, totally. So it's, it's an amazing story. I know that I, makes me I think that's crazy. One of the no. <laughs> it doesn't at all. I think one of the one of the other hallmarks is that the stakes in these books are really high. It's mm-hmm. usually always life or somebody's life, somebody's death. I mean, it's life and death, somebody's. And your heart is kind of racing the whole time you're reading it because you can't believe what you're reading. And <laughs> like Kenya said, your mouth is agape. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Nisha. No, but what's really amazing about like what, what all the stories we're kind of referring to or talking about is that there is a killer redemption arc because a lot of the trauma happens like act one. And by the time we're act three, we accept it. We're okay with it. We're, you know, it's, it's the relationship has become believable and we're rooting for them to be together. And that redemption arc is just, sometimes that's the best part of these stories for me. Like, why do, okay, why do we root for them to be together? For me, I I always find that two people who have opposite interests, um, who share one sort of common moment of trauma, um, I'm always interested to see how their connection can strengthen over the course of a novel. Um, and that's usually the, the types of dark romances I read. Like I specifically read a lot of mafia romance and there's a moment or an instant that connects the characters in a way that is like, there's no way these two people should belong together, but it's a shared moment. Mm -hmm. And how does that, that shared moment develop into something more? It's enemies to lovers on steroids, right? Exactly. Or like fated mates. Like they just should be together. So they have to work it out despite the terrible things they've gone through. Yeah. And he always brings her a bag of heads of her enemies. Like there's no. Joe, you look like you have a different thought though. Well, so no, I, I also think that we're just like kind of as romance readers. And now like I've read, like I said, I've been reading them for so long. I'm like conditioned to want them to be together. Like, like, I feel like I have so much agency in reading this except for that one thing. Mm -hmm. So like, cause part of it for me is like what her journey is going to be, but I like, I feel like I've accepted like, and the books that I don't finish are the ones where like I hit, we get past that first section of the trauma 
and we're like sort of halfway through somewhere. And I'm like, no. And it's not even like he hasn't redeemed himself, but I don't feel like they're a match somehow. I think like they're missing that they're missing that thing. Like what, like whatever that shared trauma experience hasn't developed them both in a way where I feel like I can believe that they'll be together at the end of this. Yeah. So Jen, you know how I said to you, Oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to tell you something, but no, I'm going to save it for the pod. So this is what I was saving for the pod. So there's also a bunch of research on spoilers and horror movies and how um, the trauma of the experience of watching the horror, actually, if the viewers are told the end of the film before they start the movie, they actually enjoy the trauma more because they know how the movie is going to end. So you're removing, you're giving them control, right? It all goes back to like, you're being handed more control. So I was thinking about this the whole time. I was watching, I was reading that Pam Godwin's Dark Notes, which is the one about the piano teacher and the girl's age gap. So somebody recommended it to me. <laughs> um, talk about like this, the the premise of this, the heroine has this like just devastating life outside. And I, I do want to get back to heroines because I think they're yeah. fascinating, but she's this devastating life. And like, it's just so traumatic and hurt. Like it's hard to read, but I got through it because I was like, well, there's an HEA here, right? Like the spoiler that it would end up okay made me, I think, maybe like enjoy this book a little more. And maybe that's a piece of this too. I do want to talk too about how it feels like these books are almost more visceral. We've already said like they're more visceral than a lot of other romances, but also it feels like the reading of it is about the reader more than the book. Does that make sense? The joy of it is more, it's, it's more intense for readers who love these books. And I think the joy is for readers. I don't know. Is there, I guess that's my question. Like, is, are these books more personal in some way? Because they're tapping into like some real primal shit. Uh, Yes, probably because there are, Definitely things that I might not admit to. Right. Sarah, when you asked me, do you read dark romance? I was like, is this a safe space? Yeah. Like, yes. do you really want to know? Because yeah. like, here, here we go. And I'm going to. But know, also like, no- <laughs> but I mean, even without like that sort of packed in, like, are, is somebody going to shame me for what I love? Like these books trade on fear and disgust mm-hmm. and. Right. like trauma like these are not things that other romances trade on like if i write a scene in my stupid historical where the heroine's afraid she's afraid for like half a chapter until the hero turns up and saves her right so it's really interesting if anyone doesn't uh a librarian i follow on twitter is um becky spratford and she is like a horror expert and one of the things she said once to me was that like is that like romance and horror are both like genres of emotion, right? Like you're reading it for like, like when I talk to people about like why a romance doesn't work for me, I'm awful. Like I just didn't feel the way I wanted to feel. And I will tell you what, you're feeling stuff when you read dark romance and maybe it's a different set of things, but the emotional journey of these books is there's a big emotional payout, but the pacing of it is different. And it feels like there's a lot of like ruminating and thinking and on the characters parts, like kind of, where am I? What am I doing? And then, yeah. right. Yes. They're marinating in it. 
Like yes. the heroines are marinating in their feelings that are not comfortable feelings. Yeah. And it, and even the heroes are like in their, uh, because you have to justify why is he um, hanging this guy up and slicing him up or doing whatever <laughs> he's doing. Why is he killing all these people? And I was talking to Naima, who was my best friend. And she was like, because they have to, um, you have you have to find something redeemable about them, and their thought process is what makes it redeemable because they are negotiating with themselves why they are doing these horrible mm-hmm. things. They it might be just he he's just like this who this is who I am. I'm a psychopath. I I kill people, or it just or he is getting revenge, or he's trying to be the king of the mafia. So he has to do a lot of thinking about how he's going to get to be the king of the mafia or how he's going to kill five people this week. So that is just basic. His job is hard. (laughs) His job is hard. So he has to think about it a lot. And then the girl (laughs) has to think about why, why, what is it about her? What darkness in her is he speaking to? Because Mm -hmm. this is grumpy sunshine to the max for most of these books, because the heroine is this little, ball of light and her when and sometimes they break up with these guys and they totally break them that is the one weakness that these men have when the girl escapes or when she leaves him or she comes under uh, threat then they are completely broken by the loss of their love interest and that is another little catnip thing that we love about these stories but it's all a part of the journey and knowing that the hea is at the end is also like the cherry on top so you know that's why it's uh when you find your people like when i was find out that joanna loved uh dark romance you just start sending them you know the craziest wackiest ones you can find so it's uh, very fun. So I just wanted to add something to this, just like listening to Kenya, listening to all of us, and even something I said earlier, which I want to correct. I feel like we're gendering a lot of uh, like the hero heroine, or we're just, just saying hero heroine for when there are queer dark romances out there. There's yeah. a lot of menage um, dark romances out there. And, um, you know, they exist as well, but um, it's, it's interesting that like the society that we live in was our, our emotions are dictated by, or what is acceptable is dictated by like religious institutions and the patriarchy. And so it often feels like unpacking that in some of the justifications in these dark romances. (laughs) And I love that. And I love the, the way that, you know, it's, these are these are acceptable feelings, and we should be able to kind of unpack some of these feelings in these romances. And um, and I know that, like I mentioned this on uh, like when we were chatting earlier, but I I finished recently Den of Vipers, and um, that's a reverse harem romance, um, and it has the kidnapping in it. But what I found interesting is that I wasn't. I wasn't able to connect with it as much as other dark romances because it lacked the justification. Mm. And, and I felt like there's the heroine was very accepting of a lot of the violence, which often felt like there was, it's like a 600 page book and we can talk about length in a bit, but (laughs) like, 
it's a long book that has a lot of violence and there, there lacked the justification elements to it. And let me tell you, this book is all over TikTok. So people are, people love this book. They've connected with it, but I just couldn't. And I felt like that's because a lot of the dark romances I read, I need to see that unpacking of like these patriarchal expectations of emotions and, and how we should interact with each other. Yeah, because what's interesting about Den of Vipers is she meets them as an equal. I mean, she is just as violent, just as messed up, you know, Mm -hmm. just as willing to sort of fall down that rabbit hole. And you don't get the, you know, oh, I'm a 18-year-old virgin and I've been married off to the mafia don. Like, you don't get that juxtaposition. I I liked it, like Den of Vipers, just because I thought it was a different play, like her character was so different than what we usually see in dark romance that I found it interesting. Because she starts in that place though, I feel like there wasn't as much of like a, like a growth angle for her. Cause like she doesn't, she's not going to self-actualize to like meet them or become the queen or like become equal ears in some ways, sometimes more powerful than them. Like she, she's sort of like you meet her and she's like, sorry, spoilers, but like, she's like, beating people up with a baseball bat. So Mm -hmm. like you're sort of already in it with her. So like you lack that like development and growth. So where does she growth? Where does she end up? I mean, spoilers abound, right? I mean, whatever it's, if you're listening, you're, it's fine. Can you explain like, so she starts strong and powerful and beating people up with a baseball bat. And where does she end? So like by 15%, I I was reading on an e-reader by 15% in the book, she has accepted the fact that she's never going to escape this kidnapped life. And she's like, I'm just going to enjoy it then. And so, you know, she, so 15% into the book and like it's a 600 page book. So 15% was like, like not less than a hundred yeah, pages. Right. In. It was, so, um, the the hair the each of the hero it's from all of their perspectives each chapter is from a different point of view each of the heroes has a very different personality and one of them for example gets off on pain and when i say that i mean like there's a scene where he like sticks the handle of like a knife in in like the back door and decides to have sex with her and it slices his penis and then makes her stitch him up so like this is how much he likes violence <laughs> And then there's the leader who likes like her to be in pain. A lot. A lot. <laughs> then there's the guy who like doesn't want her to touch him. Then there's the guy who's like who actually like he likes to force himself on her. So it's like it's very different personalities that exist in the story, and she accepts them by 15% of the way through. And by the end of the book, she's still accepting of it. So it's not that much of a growth period. But all that really happens is that they Nick call her like the queen of the den of vipers, like because their obsession for her continues to grow and develop. So if anything, the heroes are the ones that develop mm-hmm. the story. Sorry, that was very long-winded, but I felt like it needed an explanation. So I'm still stuck <laughs> on the knife in the back door. I'm sorry. It just takes me a while to come back around. <laughs> I'm still learning to swim in this pool. So I think this is a good part, a good point to talk about community because I think the other thing that's really interesting and goes back to what Kenya was saying right at the very start about old school romances and these kind of hearkening back to those original you know romances modern romances is the thing that struck me and now I've read I don't know six or seven of them and read the you know descriptions of many more all the ones that you have talked about (laughs) Um, so and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this but it does feel to me like these 
um, the non-aggressors, to use Joe's really excellent term, they they tend not to have any community around them at all at the beginning of the book or maybe even at the end of the book. Like, their community becomes the aggressor's community, right? And I, and I think about, I'm thinking about specifically those, you know, the Dark Notes, which I, the pianist um, book that I was talking about earlier, like, she has a family that is, absolutely horrible to her like truly there is no relationship that she could possibly come up with that would be worse than the relationship that she has with her family at the start of that book and then many of these other books are like one woman you know in a silk sheath on a tropical island and then like his or you know the aggressor's community is all all she has access to and that community is what it is, so to speak, right? Like, because it also involves, like, murdering, you know, people just getting shot at at mealtime. So (laughs) I think this is a really interesting thing, and I've been trying to unpack this, like, solitary, the solitary experience of these characters, and I wonder if, one, am I right that they are all sort of solitary in their own way? And two, like, have any of you ever thought about this as conceptually? Why is that a necessary element, basically? I think because these books are eventually, it's a found family thing because Mm -hmm. these heroines either come from a traumatic um, event, but even if we talk about the spectrum of dark romance, because I don't read a lot of trauma, I guess, but um, they will have um, a broken family Mm -hmm. or some kind of dysfunction and then the the hero's uh, motley crew of uh, found family becomes their found family. And even in Dead Man Walking, Bia has a family, but they are estranged because her parents are um, have fallen from grace. And then her sister married a convict. So then she's kind of alone. She's around people, but she doesn't have a very strong um connection with anybody other than um, her sister's found family. And that's how she ends up with uh, or her person. The kidnapping functions to, if there is a family, right? The kidnapping, like in the Danielle Laurie book, right? It's like, takes them out of it. Or in Vanquish, like Joe, I was thinking about this, like she's agoraphobic, mm-hmm. but he still kidnaps her out of like the safety of that home. I mean, it's like it, the most extreme example of it even. Well, that's really interesting because I was going to actually talk about that Pam Gondwin series because it's like eight books long. It just finished. And that whole series, as it develops, they become this found family and the um, non-aggressors because they're not always a woman, sometimes they're men. The non-aggressor ends up joining that found family and that becomes their family. And I actually do agree, like, you know, sort of maybe (laughs) flipped way. Like I really appreciate, like Kenya, I really appreciate that aspect of it too. Mm -hmm. Like that, like you within this trauma or after this trauma, like life doesn't end and you have this whole group of like, in a lot of ways who are a lot of time, essentially survivors themselves who've like sort of like formed this tight knit group together. Even in the, the mafia romances, a lot of times it's the heroine has a loving family, but because of the construct of, you know, the mafia world, she has to be buried at 18 and they do it for alliances. And so she's given to whoever, 
And it becomes a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, you know, as soon as she's in this, this world that she's living with this guy and, and falling for him. Well, I read that, um, Alf, Al, I, I'm probably butchering this name, but Althea Romig's short story Ripples, which in which the heroine is literally like she's poor little rich girl, right, about to get on a plane to go travel through France or whatever. And she's drugged in the airport and ends up on a flight to Germany where the hero has, who she's never met before, has, like, falsified a passport for her and, like, gets her through customs and then, like, strips her naked and leaves her in a big empty room in, like, a German castle. And then, like, Stockholm syndromes her, it feels like, although it's not, I mean, I appreciate that it's not, but, like, she's, like, alone in this in this castle and she has to kind of do what he wants in order to get clothing or a bed or, you know, whatever. And then at the end, his parents come in and his mother, her like his mother is like, oh, our relationship was the same way. So now like we totally get you. Uh-huh. And it's like, what? <laughs> this is wild. <laughs> you know what? What I think is really interesting about, about why like the, the one of the characters or the non-aggressor is typically the one who's, who's, you know, pulled away from like her safety net or his safety, wh- whoever's safety net is there's, uh, like I feel like their isolation just accentuates the the their growth um, mm-hmm. in the story. Mm. So you know, like with zero resources, how are they going to adapt or react to their surroundings? Well, and I think this is why what I was not expecting. I will tell you, even though earlier I said you know there's sort of like outside forces, there's kidnapping and violence. These books are highly interior. There is a lot of thinking. There's a lot of the characters like sort of moving themselves along to how can I live with my new circumstances? And the pacing of that is unusual, right? Like, so Kenya recommended a book called Dead Man Walking and uh, Nisha recommended a book by Cora Riley. 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 And I like stalled out in the middle on both of them because it was so much like inner monologuing. And I was kind of like, what is happening here? Because it it's unusual. And I, maybe I just don't have the patience for it. I'm, I'm like, go ahead and do something. But what are you going to do if you're trapped in the room? I mean, I I, I'm just saying, I'm not surprised you stalled out because the books are so fucking long. One, God, they're so long. Yes, <laughs> they're two, really long. You, I mean, we have to talk about that, Joanna. I know you have yeah. thoughts on that. So I want to get to that. And, but also for you, Jen, yeah, the first person is just, I mean, well, it's interesting because Vanquish was third. And okay. I, I realized that I I would not... I Okay, so he rapes her in Vanquish. And I was like, I would not have been able to read a rape in first person, either from the perspective of the person being raped or the rapist. But you didn't stall out on that one. But it, because you finished it was third, that. I finished that one. Yeah, but what I'm saying is the other two... The yeah. internal mon- monologuing, you are... Here's I the thing. Already, yeah, I'm like, get out of the skin suit. It was terrible. It's a skin suit, but it's worse than a skin. I mean, not worse. It's, I don't mean it to be, I don't, it's not worse. It's worse than a skin suit in the sense that you are in the skin suit, but also in a phone booth with these two people, right? Or however many people. And so there's, 
there's no escape from right. the inner monologue because like all yeah. they have is fear or, right. you know, or desire to leave or desire, you know, or the kind right. of the constant so negative of, like, emotions. My, right. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, again, goes back to this, this fascinating paper that I read that sort of reconstructs fear as a positive emotion for the the reader slash viewer because that fear is what is propulsive if you're into fear right but you were blocked by first person from the start maybe but it's I, I, here's the thing. I, you guys, this, this sounds judgy and I don't mean it to, but I was surprised at how boring some of it was. I was like, she's kidnapped. Why am I bored? And I, and maybe that's just like length. Like these books are wait very so long. Let's talk about that. Joanna. Yeah. I have not to... the good kind. Yeah. <laughs> There's always the good kind. <laughs> I, I have two thoughts on length. The first is my non-jaded answer, which is that um, it is about justification. It's about, we've, we've seen the hero do really terrible things on the page. We have to justify why she falls in love with this man. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm using gender, you know, I, I'm gendering this, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, you have to believe it. You have to root for them. And that's a huge you gotta that's yeah it's a huge uh bar that you have to cross for the reader but i will say that my jaded answer is that and i don't know if this is true and i don't mean this to sound you know i know what you're gonna say just let it rip fine (laughs) so these those (laughs) most of these books are in ku yeah they get paid by the page read and there's no um, incentive to keep it tight. I mean, right. Sarah, you know, we know, it, you know, all of us here, you, if it's a traditionally published book, they're only giving you so many pages inside that cover. Right. You don't and get you gotta, permission to be flabby. Right. right. You've got to keep it tight, keep it moving. Um, and, and there is no restriction in this. And so I'm not, maybe some of them do go in with that attitude. Like, Oh, I'm going to drag this out as long as I can. But most of them, I suspect, um, it's the convention of there's no need to keep it short. So let's. Yeah. At the risk of sounding really naive, it does. It feels like these books are so popular. Like you guys, when we came to you and I, we built that text thread and I said, lay it on me. Give me the best ones. Right. What am I supposed to read? You didn't give me tight books. Like you I gave did. me books. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I did. No, I did. I did. No, no, you did. You did. But, and I'm not criticizing it. I'm Sarah and not Jen, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. But like, I, I mean, I'm not like for me, like you gave me books that you loved, that you yeah. felt were like great examples right. of the genre and that you loved and they weren't tight. And so I don't I mean, think it's about, I, I was like, every single one of these things is the Zack Snyder cut. I was like, what? <laughs> but you know what? But what Where I love are the about, dark romance novellas, <laughs> right? Like what I love about the length of some of these books is that some of the best parts of these stories are the quiet moments for yeah. me. Yes. 
So like I enjoy the space to like appreciate the quiet moments because sometimes like some of your favorite books, they end way too quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I get that. that. I mean, like I actually do. I a little bit disagree there. Yes. They're very navel gazy generally, Jen, but like, I think that like intense, like inner monologue, the skin suit it doesn't work as, as we've discussed on the podcast, it doesn't work for me so much in like mm-hmm. straight contemporary romance. Right. Like it just doesn't. Cause I don't care about your normal life. Right. <laughs> right. I have my own but, like, normal life. Thanks. Yeah. The, I, yeah. Like, but these, like, this is not a normal life. This right. is a mm-hmm. supremely abnormal life. You went to a murder lunch and now you live on an island. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> this <There's>, is weird. <laughs> well, there's a mafia trilogy. It's called like his mafia angel, like his or her mafia angel. And it's, it's five books, but the first three books are, are about the same couple. And like the there's like a kitten there's like an escaped heroine and then there's a kidnapping and but but book three literally nothing happens it's literally it's it's just her healing journey and i soaked that shit up mm. so much I still <laughs> it's read a bomb. It. like it was like i know that nothing happens i know that the worst trauma ex- in the story happened in book two and book three is literally just like him taking care of her and her right. like helping him heal until they it like, makes a strange married. kind of sense i mean i say that all the time like when i i really believe that if you're gonna put trauma on page the healing has to be equal to or greater than right yeah. mm-hmm. so in i mean it it logically does make sense to me i'm not i mean despite I mean, my like laughing about it i i get why but i also it's but it's not just that i think the other thing is like the pacing so back to the, like the danielle Lori book the sweetest oblivion the first 50%, they sort of like meet and engage several times, but there's not, but it's, there. it's kind of equal stakes every time. I don't know if that makes sense. I think in a more of a, in non-dark romance, it feels like every meeting is an escalation, right? We're going to build up to something. And instead it's like meeting after meeting after meeting where it's like flirting or the same like level of heat between them or whatever. And I was like, this is interesting to me, but also probably more like kind of how life is for a lot of people, right? Romances, real life relationships aren't like a smooth, you know, mountain up to banging or whatever. But that's like a Danielle Laurie trait as well. The second book in the trilogy is The Maddest Obsession, and it takes place over eight years of these intermittent meetings. She gets married twice in that time period, and the whole time he's like, he's like, you're it, and eight years. So, you know, I think that's also the author trait. And her fans go to her with that expectation. Mm-hmm. So, sure. you know. I also think that, like, the length isn't just about the the healing process it's about like the the two of them are sort of hitting a wall or they're like there's this period where like you're in stasis a lot of the time and it's because like how could you not be right like she doesn't want to be here or the the non-aggressor doesn't want to be there the aggressor wants their them there like there's and how do you jump over that hump like how do you pass that and I think there's some authors who do it very quickly like I think Vanquish is an example of like she gets over it and into him very fast maybe even too fast or well (laughs) totally too fast in real world but whatever um 
But I think that they're like, otherwise, like you're, it's that period's going to take a while. Or I think when you, especially in these trilogies, like I think Anna Zara's is a good example or um, in her twist, twist me is like a lot of the time in the, the act two or the second book, the heroine is, has escaped or she's been let go and free. And you have to see that her life is actually worse without them, him to mm. justify them being together. One thing I noticed, and I don't know if this is like a good place. We've talked about trauma a lot. One of the things I, I noticed is um, many of these books, the characters realize that they are fucked up, fucked up by their lives, fucked up by the things that have happened to them, unable to exist in sort of the like regular or like straight world, whatever that is. And one of the things I find really fascinating is that they kind of understand that they there is a need for like therapy or healing, but they don't know how to access it on like what we would consider like the regular channels. Like there's no therapists, right? There's no one to like, there's, they can't get antidepressants. And so, you know, in Vanquish, he's like, don't worry, I'm going to fix your agoraphobia. (laughs) Right. And it's, and we've, and I've seen it in like several books, the sense of, I know I need healing, but I feel so broken. I don't even know how I would get it. And I think that's like a really interesting part. It's like people feel like they have to heal themselves. I think this part of the, of these dark romances is where you have to, it's like, I mean, all of it technically, but this particular part to me is where I have to have a willing suspension of disbelief Mm. because, you know, none of us on this call are like Adriana Herrera. We're not, we're not like, we don't specialize in trauma. Adriana would never do this. No, I talked to her. I talked to her this morning and she's like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, none of us are like real, really like specialized in understanding trauma, but we can see it that this is not how people handle trauma. Right. So we kind of have to like, as readers know that this is, this is where we really have to suspend our disbelief when we're reading these stories and know that like, the author is delivering a romance at the end of the day. And this is how the characters are going to kind of heal in the process. But that felt so real to me. Like so many people really struggle with like getting help, help for their mental health issues. And I, that part of it in a weird way felt like the realest thing of all, right? Like how hard it would be. Mm. Right. And I, I think that's like, and here, here I am outing myself a little bit or being a little too personal, but like, I have discussed this with my therapist because <laughs> I'm a little uncomfortable with how into these books I am. And, um, I'm not, of course, I wouldn't name her anyway, but I think there's a degree of like, the fantasy is in the healing, right? Cause like, right. again, the suspension of both this belief is like, there's no way that like, or, I don't know, but my guess is that like being whipped outside, like tied to a tree, like in Vanquish is going to like cure your agoraphobia. Um, I, I'm again, not a psychologist, but I assume not. I think um, that's but true, right. the, the fact that like, again, that like they're going to walk away hand in hand in some sense and like be better, like from this incredibly dark place, especially when I'm in a dark headspace is like, very comforting in a very weird way. I don't think it's weird at all. I mean, I think it, I think it makes perfect sense that you would, because I do think the one thing I kept coming back to as I was reading these books was thinking like, 
you know, we talk so much about how romance really is like a domestic genre that unpacks like emotion and the experiences of the characters and the experiences of the readers in many ways, right? Like we, we see ourselves, the point of romance is being able to see our own emotions in the story, but we do a really bad job generally of tackling these really tricky emotions like fear and anxiety and um you know the the darkness of psyche and i don't i think that's what's happening i think dark romance is doing that work in a way that certainly like traditional historicals are not doing it yeah i came up with an idea for one of my traditional historicals that that you know would you know, sort of be a very heavy issue to tackle in one of my books. And my editor said, I don't think you have the page space to really do it justice. We got to lose that storyline. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I think romance plays uh, around the edges a lot of people not being perfect, like the hero with the one scar on his face. (laughs) Guilty, guilty. Or, uh, you know, or something. Um, But they never get into, like, what we call the grit of (laughs) a motherfucker. (laughs) You know, they don't get into the grit of them. And so when you go into dark romance, especially having, like, from my background, having a husband who is very deeply, you know, committed to his, when he was very deeply committed to his job in the military, you're, it's no playing around the edges when that person comes back and they, and there's darkness there. So reading about that, sometimes people want a little bit more than what traditional romance offers Mm -hmm. and they want, they don't want to play around the edges. They want to go all the way in into the relationship. And then um, what Joe said is very true. These books are not about love healing you. This is about you dealing with the person that the universe set before you. And you just got to deal with them being whoever they are. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing because who doesn't have flaws? And sometimes your flaws may be that you kill people. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> rather than be a duke or or a billionaire you know (laughs) tech billionaire or rap mogul like my people but sometimes you you just love that person and all of their flaws and what is lovely about these books is no whipping you outside won't cure your agoraphobia but knowing that the person loves you regardless regardless of you being agoraphobic or uh, whatever your issues are, that's what's the beauty of dark romance. Yeah. Well, I think that is a good place to... Well, do we want to have people talk? We did ask them to write this. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to do. You were jumping ahead of me. I know the way to host a podcast. (laughs) I was like, do you remember our notes? I remember. Um, I think that's a great place for us to move on. I mean, I think we really have done a lot of work here. I know that we have not solved all of everything in Dark Romance, but this is really amazing. I'm so grateful for this conversation. And and I want to talk about books now. So 
we asked you guys all to come with two books to recommend. Um, to those people who have never read A Dark Romance, we thought you might want to recommend one that might be like an easy entry point into the genre, or at least like a somewhat easy entry point. And then for people who are big dark romance readers and who have listened to this whole episode and like nodded along and said, you didn't talk, I wish you had talked more about, you know, whatever. What's the book you just think every person who loves dark romance should read? I'll start since I'm so talkative. Okay, (laughs) His his Captive by Kay Blue. That's a great introduction. Uh, The hero is a Russian mafia guy, and he doesn't kill her family. His partner does. And then he takes her and makes makes her his assistant when she's, like, young, like 16 or whatever. And then when she finally gets to be an adult, she's like, I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to get this mafia boss. And it's delightful. And um, that is the... That's an introduction. And then if you want to go into the darkness, I will say, um, go, um, hmm, let me see, Monster in His Eyes by J.M. Dar Howard. That is a very dark 18-year-old college student who, um, this guy, he's a mafia hitman, and he comes to kill her because... Uh, why not? And, romance reasons. Uh, romance reasons. Classic. And they end up uh, on this journey where he is battling himself every time they have sex not to choke her to death. <laughs> because <laughs> she has a choking thing. <laughs> so if you like choking stroke, that's your book, people. <laughs> All right. Go. Thank you, Kenya. Who's up? I'll go. <laughs> so, I mean... I'm a little, the whole intro to dark romance feels a little weird. You know what though? I, I don't mean it that way because anyone who's going to pick up any of these books is willing, right? Like if they've listened to however far we're in. So I just think though, I do still think that there are ones that are like, maybe it's like the beginning of a series. Easier to swallow. uh, Yeah. Right. right. As opposed to Den of Knives, whatever that was called. Den of Knives. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess that's, what, yeah, like anyone who <laughs> is going to start one of these clearly has a sense of their own boundaries. After listening enough. to this whole episode. Right. So, like, yeah. They're I, prepared. Right. It doesn't mean like you're going to give it to, you know, any, anybody here, read this, right? You, someone who's read this whole thing who's like, I'm willing to try. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give you the book I started with. It's Wanderlust by Sky Warren. It came out a long time ago. It's fantastic and very atmospheric. Um, she actually uh, is off on her own for the first time. She's like road tripping to Niagara or something. Her mom basically kept her as a captive in her own house and she gets uh, raped and then kidnapped by this trucker with his own like sort of dark past. And they go on this, it's a road trip romance, but dark romance. And they kind of go on this road trip across the country. um, And like, you know, she kind of learns how he became the way he was. And like, this one's interesting because he actually ends up letting her go. And then they come back together later, like consensually. Um, So that's the one I would start with. And then we talked a lot about Pam Godwin's Vanquish. So I want to talk about Pam Godwin's Take, which is a later book in the series. Um, If you're a chaotic reader like me and like, don't really need to figure out all the backstory, then it's fine. Um, But 
uh, she's part of this like group of like quote unquote freedom fighters who are trying to like save a bunch of like um, people from sex trafficking rings. And he is the head of a cartel and he kidnaps her and um, he's recovering from a wound and uh, they end up falling in love with each other. An emotional wound or a physical wound? No, physical. The book before, uh, the heroine from the book before bashed his head in with uh, some kind of, I can't remember, like a something. Get it, girl. Left him for dead. <laughs> so he's recovering. Um, but he, he like kind of beats her up in the beginning and like she thinks she's going to die. And then he, she's a virgin. He realizes that she's a virgin or she's kind of a virgin. Uh, it's complicated, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> she was a sex slave once upon a time was freed. Um, but anyway, so like over time, like he ends up like sort of maybe changing and she maybe changes. Um, and they kind of go off into the sunset together in a weird way. So that one. Great. Jo- Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, I'll go. Um, my intro book would recommendation would be King of Diamonds by Renee Rose. It's a mafia book. Surprise. Um, it's the first in her Vegas underground series. The hero comes from a mafia family and he's gone out to Vegas to start a casino. And the heroine is a maid in the casino. She's waiting to get a dealer job, but there's no dealer job. So she's a maid and she ends up in his suite thinking it's empty uh, to clean it. And he comes in and surprises her and he scares her so badly that she actually pees on the floor. Huh. And so then he puts her in the shower to clean her up. Anyway, I, it's, it's kind of a 100 level because it's definitely consensual. There's nothing, you know, there's like some light spanking and bondage and um, it's kind of fun and sexy. It's not super dark, but it's got some of the dark elements in it. Um, it's fast and no frills really. And if I had to, um, go uh, recommend a, a darker series, I, it's not the darkest that you could ever read, but I think the filthy rich American series by Nikki Sloan just is like the gold standard for me. Um, it's a four book series and, uh, it's set in this very high society, snobby world, and it's got, you know, a, an arranged marriage. It's got um, a, an, an initiation ceremony that I will, would not dare spoil for anybody who's listening and might give it a try because it's bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a father-in-law that is kind of putting the moves on the heroine and maybe she might sleep with him. Who knows? And then there's the son that's sleeping with the stepmother. I mean, it's crazy, but in the very best way. It's I mean, well, we're Nikki Sloan fans here at Fade of Mates, so they're they're cliffhangers. Everybody, just <laughs> so all, the, all the books are out. No cheating, no cliffhangers. Read, Downer. Read all, read all four. <laughs> People need to know. Uh, we God. know who dropping sunshine in this relationship is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I will morning. say I did start with book four of that series because it's a standalone. Because I was like, I can't, I can't do these cliffhangers. And then I went back and read the whole series. And I was really surprised that you called it dark. So I don't know. What do I know? There's the fifth book is coming out in that series. Um, It's a standalone, Jen. Uh, And it comes out this summer. And I remember like when 
so Joanna and I kind of found each other at the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic, I think like right before there was lockdown. And like we had, I think we were having lunch or something in, in like middle of New Jersey. And I was like, I hate to admit it, but like, I just can't read rom-coms anymore. Like I've just been <laughs> reading more dark stuff. And Joanna goes to me like, like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, please tell me. And since then, like, whenever there's a dark romance, like we like it's it's like a constant texting. So I found my dark romance like soulmate. And I remember when Filthy Rich America, like the first one came out, I texted Joanna. I was like, stop it, drop everything, buy this <laughs> book right now. And since then it's been perfect. But okay, to dig I digress. My my recommendations are one that actually Joanna turned me on to, which was Cora Riley. So that's my 100 level. So there's two series. Cora Riley has two mafia series. Of course, it's mafia. The first one is uh, the Mafia Outlet, which takes place in Chicago. So there's six books in that series. So I recommend starting with Bound with Duty. But if you want something just like uh, like 101 versus like 100, um, you can go to Twisted Pride, which is in the second series. It's in Vegas, and it's more of a revenge story, but there's definitely kidnapping. It's delicious. Um, and if you want something that is like 400 level, um, you can go to Pepper Winters, the Greek Isle series. Uh, so I know we did a blanket trigger warning, but this is like straight like sex trafficking um, and non-con where the heroine is trafficked to a island that's owned by this mob boss who's like a billionaire. So it has like all of my intersections and um, he basically like these women have a two year contract and they're roofied every night. And they, the roofie that they're given is like Viagra on steroids where they can't even like, they don't know what's happening to, you know, around them, but they're so sex craved and these men pay like thousands and thousands of dollars to be in this like virtual reality simulation room with them. So to like act out their fantasies. And so like, there's a caveman one where like, she's like chained to the wall and a caveman comes in, but she doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't like, because it's virtual reality and, and she's on drugs. Wait, um, so he knows what the fantasy is, but she doesn't. It's his fantasy. That he, and like, we're in her POV. And we're in her POV. I'm going to read this shit. <laughs> These are bestsellers. things to do. As someone who keeps <laughs> track of the USA Today bestseller list, like I've seen that no, book I mean, I've seen, I, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to so, read this. This is fascinating. So the first one is called Once Upon a Myth and the world building is really great. So I highly recommend that. But like, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give another 400 level one. We That's haven't right. really talked about like a motorcycle club one and i feel like some some motorcycle club ones are like fine yeah. but like when when you do dark romance motorcycle club like oftentimes it's like really really dark and tilly cole wrote one uh, like um i think it's like it ain't you babe uh it ain't like, me babe it ain't me babe and it's not just motorcycle club it's motorcycle plus cult so I went down a rabbit hole in 2020 and I remember texting Joanna. I was like, <laughs> I, I found cults, dark romances, Joanna and Tilly Cole's cult motorcycle club, dark romance came up and 
there's like graphic like violence against minors in it so just be mindful of that it's very 500 level but it is so incredibly fascinating how these people found each other and how this heroine who's never known life outside of this cult had this one moment with the hero when they were kids and they're reunited when he's leading this motorcycle gang. And so highly recommend that if you're into motorcycle club, but like I said, that's like 500 level. And I had to really like, I had to like not read for two weeks after I finished that book. So it is, it will really mess with you. So can I point of order is goddess isles, uh, cliffhangers is it separate couples or is it all the same couple so the after the first book it, there is a cliffhanger but like it's the same couple for the first like three or four books and like the first book is the romance the rest of them is like how they address the dark world that they live in okay so so i'll be happy reading this book i'll get to the end and feel satisfied with the ending <laughs> is what you're promising me I would say the first two books. <laughs> See? Yeah. Okay. Agreed. And, yeah. and I will just say in that book, when the heroine, I'm going to spoil Please. some of the opening, but when the heroine. Like, we just talked the, about how spoilers make the yeah, book make more enjoyable. Yeah, sure. When the heroine lands on that island and the hero gets her in the room as an explaining, okay, I'm going to give you this drug and blah, 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 blah. She flips the tables and gives him the drug, yeah. which it's not worth explaining how that happens because ro- romance, right, who cares, but she gives him the drug and he's never had it before. <gasps> so he is like in heat. I'm in it. Like, I'm yeah. in it. Herring, like <laughs> well, as you know, Joanna, I love a hero in heat. You also love a hero in heat. I do. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> you All guys. Can what, I just well, add one? Yes. What, like, what are we forgetting? What's the, like, one last thing? Yeah. I have one, one, I have to, one person I have to shout out. The other Kenya, Kenya Wright, she has a series, a Lion and Mouse series, where the woman is the serial killer. Mm. And the hero is a Russian mob boss. It's Lion and Mouse series. And she's it a is, serial killer? She is a serial killer. And she has personality disorder. Like the real the real personality I'm writing disorder. this down. <laughs> it's Lion and Mouse. It has so many books. And they're not cliffhangers, um, Jen. They just, it's just a continuation of their story. Because, of course, you know, he doesn't realize that she's killing all these people until, like. Oh my God, it's like Jack. But a romance. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's a girl. And it's so fantastic, you guys. So I had to guys- shout out this dark world that Kenya write. And she's a fearless writer. And she is uh it's tight. Uh it's a tight book. You know, it's several books in the series, but the writing is very tight. And she has illustrations. Wow. <laughs> All right. Okay. What it- Joe, any last thoughts while we... I feel I like just, there's always more that comes, right? So the only other thing is, like, because I it's been in my head, and I'm going to keep circling back to Pam Godwin, but, like, the places that a book will take you, I hate all bugs of all shapes and sizes <laughs> since I was a young child. There is a scene in one of the Pam Godwin books where she's, like, drowning, and they pull... And the, 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 the real villains, not the hero villain, 
are pouring like black widow spiders over her head. And I should have thrown the book away. And I was like, wait, I am into this because I know at the end they're going to be okay. And somehow she gets bit like a gajillion times and survives. And I was like texting my friends. I was like, you guys, I am reading the most amazing shit right now. And they're like, what are you reading? And I told them, I was like, and they're all romance readers. And they were like, no, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely not. But this all goes back to, we talked about this I can't remember which episode we talked about it, but it was recently about Jennifer Lynn Barnes's research on the Universal right. Pleasure Centers. And one of the six Universal Pleasure Centers that she talks about is this, is safe danger, right? Like yes. we, mm-hmm. as readers and consumers of media, humans generally really enjoy danger because we are safe on our couch. We can exactly. close the book or whatever. And we know the character is going to be somehow magically safe at the end. And in our case, yeah, we know that. Right. Well, this was amazing. Awesome. Better even than I could have ever hoped. So I have, poor Eric is going to be editing this for a long time. Poor Eric is going to keep me up at night. He's going to be like, and then she said that thing. (laughs) And then you said you wanted to read a book about caveman sex. (laughs) I was like, that's not the first time. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not sure when this will air, but um, it was a really amazing to have really passionate, devoted readers teach us about a subgenre that is wildly popular and that many people might be wary of. And hopefully now they will have a better understanding of. Thank you all so much for holding our hands. And we were, I feel like we were pretty dumb in the holding our hands stupid and walking in the into chat. a happily ever after. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> it was really funny. I don't think like any of us really has a dark romance out right now. Do we? Just no. Joe is no. writing Joe one. Is writing Joe is one. working on one. I know Joanna and I keep talking about it. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe this episode is like the push we need. You know what? Yeah. I also, maybe, but also sometimes, I mean, I'm not a writer, but just reading something because you love it as opposed to making it work. So, you know, I think it's just a different experience too. Then you don't have to, you know, you can just let it wash over you. None of my heroes want to be dark. Want to kill people? I've tried to make them do it, but they're like, no, sis. (laughs) I told Sierra Simone like a couple weeks ago, I was like, if I ever write a dark romance, like the heroine's going to sleep with everybody. She's going to sleep with the sister, the uncle, the dad. Like she's going to sleep with, it's just going to be like sex everywhere. (laughs) Sierra's like, when are you writing this book? (laughs) Same. That's what we all want to (laughs) know. All right. Thank you everybody. And have a great week. And I hope that you find something to read. Well, that was a ride. (laughs) It was. It was awesome. It was awesome. So just for everybody listening, we recorded this in April, and we are releasing it at the end of June. And so you and I listened to it again, really, for the first time in months. And it was just like they tell all the writers, a little more time between listening and revisions will Mm -hmm. really... Yeah. Right? And it was fascinating to listen to it again. I mean, I'm so glad we had those four women with us. Like, talk about four people who just think about it, know about it, love it, and, like, are able to to make it make sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I felt, too. Yeah. So what, when you were listening to it, because I did feel, like, the sense of, like, what are some things I wanted to, like, close the loop on or, like, 
you know, what are the things we like didn't get to talk about that you wish you would have or that you thought of kind of in a new way in between recording and releasing? Yeah. So I think there are a few things. The one thing that kept coming back to me, and this is not really related to the content of the books at all, but I think it's important and we didn't we didn't say it at all in the in the episode. Dark romance really is the purview of independent publishing. Like these and self-publishing. And right. self-publishing. So these the these authors are so fearless. Joanna talks about just these are people who are just taking the finger as a matter of course. And the fearlessness is so kind of raw in and I think that we did kind of we, I think one, a lot of the questions that you and I had were about this kind of like, what is happening? How does, right. how do these books even work? And it's because um, it's a group of writers who are almost so fearless that I think traditional publishing has really passed over, passed them by. Right. 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 Um, which I don't think they would, I mean, I think they should be very grateful for that because I'm not sure a traditional publishing would know even for a second, how to handle these books. It's all gas, no breaks, right? Which is like this phrase I love that really encapsulates this idea that everyone doing it is all in, not just the authors, but the readers as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a real sense that there are no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that is always, I think, a really exciting thing to read. And there's a lot of churn, right? There's a lot of things like sort of up at the surface, So it's hard to figure out, like, what's important or what's meaningful or what's going to be, like, the big takeaway for for dark romance in one year, in five years, in ten years. But I definitely really appreciate that sense of it, there being no boundaries. No boundaries. And also, so, we we talk about this, there's an erotic romance interstitial coming um, next month, I think. And I think one of the interesting things about this is that dark romance morality chain and erotic romance all kind of live in this space where traditional publishing isn't the dominating force. And so the books are super creative. They don't, they don't have the same boundaries. They don't have the same rules. They're almost doing something completely different. Right. What about you? Did you have anything that really stuck with you? I one of the things I really appreciated listening when and listening to it again was Joe's point that using the word aggressor was maybe a better word than like hero and heroine. Yes. And I really I really like that a lot. And obviously I know that even within Romance Landia, hero and heroine can be sometimes really loaded. Um, you know, and I I I think just in terms of I don't even really want to get into that, but I really liked the idea of, like, talking about it in terms of aggression. Yes. And this question of, like, sort of, like, and and I'll put this in show notes. Like, when we did the um, morality chain episode, we had this sort of graphic that I made that was, like, morality chain is someone being pulled up and dark romance is someone being, like, pulled down into that world. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, the aggressor is, like, sort of the power mover here. Like, Mm -hmm. right? Like, in turn... And and so I really liked that language, and it really made me feel a lot more comfortable talking about, like, some of the things that we were talking about, right? To have have that be divorced from... Heroicism. Yeah, right. It's interesting because when Eric listened to the podcast, the first, you know, he... He mm-hmm. listens to the, to each episode, I don't know, three or four times. And when he listened sure. to it the first time, he 
um, he kind of came out of his office and he looked at me. And he was like, I'm confused by how we use the word hero. Right. And then there was a moment in the episode where Joe said um, the the real villain, not the hero villain. Right. And, right. and I think there are these, mo- I think, you know, as usual, when when things start to really evolve and change in any medium, they start to evolve and change in the places that are on the edge, right? They're at, right. The, 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 the books that live on the boundaries and this aggressor versus hero is a really, I can see how that, is um or aggressor versus heroine hero is going is is a place where there's like you can feel this the you can feel the the tension here in a way that you can't feel it in you know whatever just came out from Avon you know one of the most common I don't know like when you read about romance outside of romance right outsiders to romance are always talking about, you know, people who read romance can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy. And, you know what I mean? Like, rah, rah, rah. You Women shouldn't face, read these right? books. They get right? ideas. Yes. And one of the things that I really also liked about this episode, though, was th- these are not, these are fantasies in a different way. Right? Not the fantasy of, like, the big poofy dress or the sparkly shoes or the prince or the money or whatever. Right? These are fantasies instead that are really allowing people to, like, work through, like, sort of their own metal, right? Like, kind of that sense of, like, what are people capable of, right? Like, it's really almost like, um, you know, when you teach, like, conflict, it's like person versus person, person versus nature. Like, it's really supercharged, like, conflict. And I think, like, that's really compelling to watch, right? Like, when I think about, like, you know... Sandra Bullock up alone in space and what she's willing to do to get back to Earth. I watch that and I'm seriously like, I'd be dead already. I would die. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I say, say that all the time. Like, right, when if it's the zombie apocalypse, just throw me out of my brains are delicious. Out, right? I would die. I would die. <laughs> right. And so I think that we're really used to, I don't know, like, ex- thinking that through what it would mean, like, physically what are my, like, the what's the extent of, like, my physical boundaries? Um, what would I be able to, like, bear, mm-hmm. right? And I think especially for, um, like, that, if that makes sense, like, when we talk about, like, person versus nature. But for this, I think it's really so interesting to instead think about it psychologically. Yes. And I think that that's what dark romance is really doing in a way that's truly interesting to people. Yes. And, and, I, and I get that. I really do. And I think that's what this episode helped me realize. Yeah. I like that so much, this idea of psychological burden and and how much we can bear. Um, And it sort of goes hand in hand with the other thing that I was thinking about as I was reading it. So we talked a little bit in the episode, more than a little bit, about the fact that there's something going on here that feels very old school, right? Mm -hmm. Kenya talked about starting with Rosemary Rogers, and now it sort of feels organic that she's a dark romance fan. And one of the things that I have been thinking about, you know, since re-listening is this sort of place that we're in in romance right now where it feels like a lot of the conversations that are being had are sort of 
waving away the misogyny that romance was dealing with in those early years, right? So we've talked about this ad nauseum. I'm not going to rehash it. But this, this question of kind of... In the early years, the the hero represented something more than hero. I mean, mm-hmm. the aggressor. He was also an aggressor, right? Right. Then. So the aggressor represented more than just, like, a dude on the page. He represented the way, the way patriarchy works in the world. Yeah. And now, often I feel like with romance, in the romance conversation, there's kind of a hand-waving-y kind of, well, we're done with that now. Like, feminism is solved. We solved it. So now romance yeah. is doing these other things instead. And I think... What's cool is that romance is doing other things. Right. But not instead. It's in addition to. Right. And these books still feel, maybe these books feel most like the books that are doing that hard work of patriarchy noodling. Right. It feels weird to say it because what's happening, you know, it's not 1982 and these aggressors are still acting, like, in many ways, similar to those yeah, aggressors, but, but I sort of feel like but look at the world. This right is now. the corner of romance that's still doing this kind of work. Like, yeah. the world is sometimes shitty to women and other marginalized people in a very aggressive, cruel way. Right, and this is where that is being negotiated. Yeah. So here's another thing that's really interesting. Last week. Mr. Reed's romance and I were watching The Godfather, which I have not watched in a long time. That first scene is amazing. (laughs) Go on. Well, and I was really found myself watching, watching the women. Yeah. Watching Kay and watching Michael's first wife in Sicily and watching um, his sister and really, really like thinking about like, what kind of roles did women have in these stories? Right. When men tell the story. Right. Right? And, you know, I, again, I know that Nisha made a great point that, like, dark romance isn't as gendered as it was the way, like, we talked about it or just because of the books we read. But I do think a lot of it is very gendered in, like, a very The roles, way. at least in the books that I read, which were all MF, like, felt so gendered. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking about the way that stories like this get told from in in like movies or television, the violence is such a big part of them. Mm. And yet nobody I mean, this is not true, not true nobody, but like when we watch those, it's acceptable entertainment. Right? But the the way that women exist in those worlds is never really primary maybe i guess a difference would be in the sopranos i felt like carmela and um um christopher's girlfriend i can't cut i can't remember her name it's been so long since i've watched it it's been like 20 years since the sopranos was on mm-hmm. um you know i think that it's really interesting to sort of think about these books as almost like continuing something that you know, these stories are left on the cutting room floor if yes. they're included at all. Yes. How do women in very violent worlds, how do children in very violent worlds, how do queer people in very violent, like, kind of hyper-masculine worlds deal with that? Right. And I think that in that way, it's it's also just really interesting to me to, like, have 
as always, right? Uh, like those stories kind of come to the front. Mm-hmm. And again, I I don't I still will tell you I haven't read tons of them since we recorded. Yeah. I've read some of the ones I would call like dark rom- dark romance light adjacent, right? yeah, or dark romance adjacent. But I do feel so much better for like really unpacking able, it. Yeah, unpacking I it. I mean, now. here's my thing, and this is what I love about the podcast. I'm going to toot our horn, everyone, mm-hmm. so you can stop listening now if you don't want to hear it. But um, I really love that we are a place where people feel like they can have that conversation with us without being yeah judged for it, like. There is something, there is clearly something going on in this corner of romance. Mm -hmm. And I want to understand it, even if it's not my thing. Um, I was so, I I know I said it when we just started, but God, I was so grateful to have these four. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I just felt like every one of them had something really powerful to say about it. And on top of it, I really loved that Joanna, like, hit home this idea that, the world is really bleak, and right. some some of us don't want to go light. We right. want to go dark. Yes. Right. I felt that way, you know, I've felt that way over the last five years, and I, I mean, I didn't go into dark romance, but I certainly have struggled with light romance. Yeah. And yeah. this is, so, you know, if you are out there and you too have been struggling with light romance, which seems to be the dominant force in romance right now. Right. It's okay. Like, yeah, this is we're here, here for, for you. you too. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is really good. I was reminded that I downloaded that first of the goddess series. Yeah. The one oh yeah. About the, the roofied people. <laughs> and I didn't read it then, but I am definitely, I just pulled it back up on my Kindle. So I will report in everyone. Yeah. So, can I, like, say one more thing about The Sopranos? Because Please. I don't know if anyone watched it, or it's, like I said, it's been a long time, but a scene that I, like, you ever read that? I should write about this for the cut. Like, there's that pop, that that um, that um column, like, I think about this a lot. Have you ever read that column in the cut? Yes, okay. of course. One of the scenes I think about a lot in The, in the Sopranos is the scene where Carmela goes to see a therapist. <laughs> Essentially okay. is, like, explaining to the therapist that she's, like, a Mafia Don's wife. And this man, like, essentially stops her and says, what you need to do right now is you need to leave this offense and you need to get your children and you need to leave the marriage. You need to walk out and you need to do it today. And the reason I'm telling you this is so that you can't say no one ever told me. Yeah. Right? And I, and I, I was blown away when I first saw it because it was this moment where, like, you are so steeped in, like, the world you're in. That then an outsider comes along and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Yep. But of course she doesn't leave. No, of course she and doesn't. It, 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 right, in fact, functions essentially like in the complete opposite way where she says, I can't or won't leave. And so you know what I probably should do is like recommit to this. This is my life and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And I feel like every single one of these dark romances we have read or people have read is essentially Carmela after that moment. And my God, I mean, talk about a real life, ex- like, fine, heightened reality, but still real life. Yeah, right. Every, right. What did Kenya say? Everyone has flaws. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some people's flaws are they kill people. <laughs> Kenya also said monsters need love too. Which, so. <laughs> 
show and if title. that's not if that's not rom- it already is if I that's mean, not romance then what is it right monsters need love too exactly so let us know we didn't say this is the end of the episode but let us know what you think um you don't have to tell us if you if you're a little nervous about admitting that you're a dark romance reader we understand you can dm us on twitter or on facebook we are our faded mates at faded mates on twitter Faded Mates Pod on Instagram, and you can always talk about uh, the episode on the Old School Romance Book Club uh, group on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash groups slash OSRBC. You must answer all three entry questions in order to gain access to the group. Um, anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed this one. We really enjoyed it, and we will be back next week in your ear holes. 